and welcome to Say Hi to the Future, a podcast aimed at highlighting the human side of ingenuity, clever, inventive, and original thinking. My name is Ken Tenser, CEO of SpiderWorks, a leading business consultancy for mid-market organizations and entrepreneurs globally. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. With me today is Kim Masharia, founder of Space Prize, a platform empowering young women to participate in the growing space economy. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. Kim Masharia, welcome to Say Hi to the Future. Hello there. So happy to be here. So, Kim, we're going to be talking a lot about space today. Not an easy question. Um, Why does space even matter? To us. Oh, space affects countless aspects of our everyday lives. I think it's such a shame that more members of the general public are so blissfully unaware of how vital space is just in, in, in so many ways to how our world operates and, and how we all stay connected. I think there's a lack of what me and my team like to call universal space literacy. Uh, mm. And I think it's so important to to bring out this knowledge to the world because if we want to tackle some of the world's biggest problems like climate change we have to leverage space-based technology so so how do you make that leap how does space-based technology impact our understanding of climate change or other areas i mean nearly 90 percent of the data that we have around trends in relation to climate change comes from leveraging satellites and other space-based infrastructure. And if we can't, you can't uh, tackle a problem that you can't measure. And so having the ability to measure these problems using space-based technology allows us to be able to actually mitigate these problems and try and bring things to a more, you know, better state of equilibrium. Very cool. And again, you, you nailed it with me, just the average person who does not really think in those terms. So um, any other areas and you know that, that, that come to mind that I should know about the listeners should know about healthcare telemedicine has ex- been extremely benefited from the innovations that have transpired thanks to organizations like NASA c- taking care of astronauts living in space and telemedicine is going to be it already is huge but it's going to go to another level over the next 10 to 15 years thanks to these very innovations so healthcare uh, be the beauty industry benefits from it as well. I mean, that's why companies like Estee Lauder have sent beauty products up to space. Nearly every industry which you can think of, if you dial it back, has some kind of connection to space. The more we, we become aware of this connection, the better we can all fully leverage it to its fullest potential to make li- life here on Earth a bit better. Very cool. So, Kim, is that one of the reasons that you founded uh, Space Prize? Yes, I was brought onto Space Prize because gender equity, I think, is something that has been plaguing the industry for far too long. Only 20% of the space industry's workforce is made up of women, and the number's actually been pretty stagnant over the last three decades. We're not seeing any significant noteworthy improvements there. And I think a lot of people have been trying to tackle this issue over the last 10 years, especially, but we really believe with my, with my team at Space Prize that the root of the issue is is in the pipeline. And that's absolutely why we launched this project is to promote gender equity, but also to promote again, this concept of universal space literacy, because we think a big part of connecting those dots and getting women more involved in the world of space is helping them to understand 
the value that space brings to the world. Take us through a little bit about the mechanism. How do you connect with uh, women, younger women? I mean, I think, you know, she calls you one of her mentors, Gitika, um, was on the show uh, not, not too long ago. I mean, and definitely one of the brightest human beings oh, I've ever encountered. I always um, say I can't wait to work for her one day. She's so <laughs> smart. I can't believe she's only just in her freshman year of college. Oh. It's wild to me so, um, but so, yeah that's yeah. definitely so, a big part of tackling that gap is is working with young women like her and giving them support and resources they need to take their brilliance to the next level so what are some of those resources what are the some of the ways that you're helping to engage with people like her or who might want to be her and 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 from what age is this is this you know i mean there's maker spaces for for tweens um, is it, are you taking space and aerospace to a, a younger crowd? Right now, we're focusing on high school and college-age women. And so over the past year and a half, we've launched three international contests where we gave away a zero-G flight to one girl in every borough here in New York City. We gave a zero-G flight away to a young woman in Paris and two brilliant young women in Portugal. Actually, funny enough, the zero-G flight that these young women are going on is actually taking place today. <laughs> They're wow. over in Portugal CNN Portugal is currently following along with their journey and they are having a blast according to all the pictures that I've gotten to see so far. And so having them get to go on experience like this, I believe it's it's so beautiful and transformative because they get to do things they never thought possible. And I think that's one of the most exciting aspects of leveraging space as a tool for empowerment and education is that if you can make people believe that touching the stars is, you know, within their reach, they can do nearly anything they set their mind to. And I'm excited to see how this transformative experience impacts each one of these young women. We not only do the contest, we also have a free education curriculum that we've produced, and that is geared towards middle and high school students. And so we're actively forming partnerships right now to get this free, this free resource into the hands of as many school systems, after school programs and such as possible around the world. That's amazing. So, so you kindle it then in mid, mid middle school right now, high school, the experiences. What are some of the potential career journeys for these young women? Young women, how does it unfold? What do they study? How, where does where does it go to from there? So for our contest, it's an essay and a video contest. And so, what I really love about that is that it gives people who have an interest in all kinds of disciplines, a chance to see how their own world and their skill set can connect to the world of space. We have folks who are judging our contests and mentoring these young women who have a variety of backgrounds in the space sector, space lawyers, engineers, rocket scientists, policy makers, marketers. We try and showcase all that's possible because the space industry is no longer just an industry. It's truly an economy. An economy requires a variety of skill sets in order to function well and to be robust. And that's exactly what we're trying to showcase to these young women, because each of the young women we've had in our program, they all have slightly different interests in space. And even one of our winners for our Portugal contest, she was very frank in admitting that her mother had convinced her to apply to the contest. She wasn't exactly sure she wanted to do it. And now, thanks to her brilliant writing, it's taken her to places she can't even imagine. And now she is being so uh, 
been pressed by what she's been learning about space along this journey. She had a general interest, but the depth of her um, intrigue around what's happening in the world space is significantly increased. And that's exactly what it's all about. I would love for each of the girls who come through our program, even if those, even those who had previously not been true space geeks, they can come out of our program and be able to rattle off a list of ways by which space uh, can help support things like the sustainable development goals. That's a win to me. Well, it certainly is a win, and I think you're, the way you're describing it, um, again, to the layperson and somebody who grew up when space was only about, you know, the one or two people a year who might get onto a path of being an astronaut. It wasn't an industry. It wasn't an ecosystem. So I, I think that message is, is so critical today to, to all young people. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm excited to see how young people are able to use, again, these tools in ways that we could have never imagined. That's the most exciting part. I, I mean, right now, there's a talent gap in the space industry. And I think that's quite unfortunate because folks are letting the more negative narratives that are out there about space play their judgment on the whole sector. And if we can start to slowly shift that and chip away at those stereotypes and misconceptions, but who knows what we can do in this field? I mean, maybe we can really bring to life the beautiful visions of uh, unity that we see in, in science fiction like Star Trek and such. Maybe that those crazy possibilities could actually, you know, come true. Very cool. So, well, I mean, in some of the reading, though, I mean, it seems like some of the aspiration is to be able to to live um, in other parts of, I'll just say, our, our, our universe. Is that a correct way to put it or describe it? I think that is inevitable. I think humanity is certainly on its way to becoming a truly multiplanetary species. And that is a future that whether or not you feel comfortable or are scared of it, it's inevitable. And I think it's really important that we acknowledge this inevitability so that we can sort out, okay, if we are uncertain about what a future where humans are living on multiple planets looks like, how can we set a strong foundation that protects us from our worst fears that we have about what could happen out there? Um, and I, I think that when you look at all the major commercial space companies that are producing multiple space stations at this point, Orbital Reef, Star Lab from NanoRacks, uh, there's a lot of work being done, real work, where we will see people living in space in the not so distant future. And I don't think people realize that this future is is so close. Here's where here's what I'm trying to bridge, and, and, and this is this is why I like to speak to people who grew up a little bit more <laughs> with that notion of space. I, I completely understand the research and I completely understand um, living on a space station for a period of time to bring back all the benefit to Earth that you described. What would the motivation be to live on a planet that doesn't sustain life for purposes other than research? Oh, I mean, I think just for the love and the wonder and the awe of it all, I think that tends to be the driving factor when you talk about people who actually want to go out there and be those pioneers in that sense. I personally am not <laughs> interested in living on Mars anytime soon. But whenever I speak to folks of all generations, it's just this sense of wonder, this passion to explore and see what's out there and elevate humanity's presence. 
I think we all know that our planet is in trouble um, for a variety of reasons. And some people feel like, you know, going out into the stars is a way to unlock the solutions that we're looking for and to save our own little home. So there's a variety of reasons for for what's driving folks outside of research. But I think it comes more so down to to passion and awe and wonder. And that's something that you never really see with nearly any other scientific discipline. I think space is one of the few scientific disciplines where you don't actually have to deeply understand it in order to be mesmerized mm-hmm. by it. Uh, you know, I, I love biology and chemistry, but in order to really be um, blown away by how, you know, Matt, insightful and uh, and um, compelling these disciplines are, you have to have a deep understanding of that. But with space, you just look up to the night sky and you see, you know, an infinite amount of of darkness out there and such. And so it just it just induces a different sensation. You know what? That when you put it that way, it's uh, it's boy, it's really engaging. Because yes, we all grew up, as you had mentioned before, with Star Trek, and um, <laughs> I know it's not real, but yes, obviously, we've always had that love of discovery and passion, or many people have. And I, I love the idea that 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 can be taken to a next level and and be very pragmatic in, in terms of the research and the good that we bring back, as you said, to our own our own home. How about startups in this industry? And I, th- I think you, I think earlier in your career, you began working with startups in about, was it um, about space and private space flight? That must be a really important part of a space ecosystem because it's no longer, as, as we know, just a country sending up a man or a person to run, you know, a, a spacecraft with nobody in it. How does that infrastructure, that startup, startup infrastructure work today? Right now, there's a surprising amount of investment still being put into the startup sector of space. Um, and I, I think even despite the, the current economic uh, woes of the world, people see space as a true long-term play. And so right now, a lot of people are willing to take risk on projects and things that would have seemed infeasible only even just five years ago. One example is asteroid mining. So the first uh, company I worked for in space, we had just acquired, I was working in a blockchain venture studio and we acquired an asteroid mining company, which I don't know what asteroid mining is all about. It's about going out to, to, uh, other bodies, asteroids, or, you know, going out to the moon and things like that. And, getting out resources. And one of the most important resources you can extract from another body is water because you can convert water into propellant and essentially make yourself a floating gas station. And asteroid mining was something that the Luxembourg Space Agency and just Luxembourg as a whole was really betting on quite hard. Uh, They invested a lot of money um, about 10 or so years ago to help launch some of the the two of the most um, impactful asteroid mining companies that kind of set the, the the beginning of that movement up. But after a few years, both of those companies had to close down and people got really hesitant about, you know, is, is this something that actually be achieved in, in the near term? Is this 30 years down the road? Like, when is this going to happen? Mm-hmm. But 
one of the most interesting companies that's launched, in my opinion, over the last couple of years is Astroforge, and they're bringing back asteroid mining. And you would think that based on how scared investors were of that kind of topic, that it would have been nearly impossible for a company like Astroforge to get off the ground and get a lot of support behind it, but it has. Um, because of advancements in, in launch and such, people are getting more comfortable taking really big risk. 2021 was one of the most exciting years for the world of commercial space. We pushed things forward quite significantly. And right now, I think you have a daring idea in the that's related to space. This is actually one of the best times to try and get some support behind it. Five years ago, I would have told you be more conservative, but after all the progress has been made thus far, this is the time to take some risk. There uh, it could be an opportunity to, you know, to do things like uh, space-based solar power is also another risque kind of topic where there's questionable um, mindsets around, you know, is it something that's worth investing in and such. But um, over the last couple of years, again, like the UK and China have been putting so much money towards that specific technology. And I think we're only going to continue to see more and more innovative products come out in the very near future. Um, hopefully this bubble won't burst anytime soon, but I, I think it's a really good time to have a startup in space. That's, um, you know what? Again, I never, never thought of it that way. And I, I look forward to one of our event activations when we, when we, engage our panels and, and, and with, you know, we have a next gen panel and talking about the future, talking about what they're doing and really in areas that frankly didn't exist. Some of them even five years ago would love to, would love to include this type of thinking because it's, it's, it's just fascinating. And, and again, I think that the translation from entrepreneurship to long-term to pragmatic benefit is just, it's a phenomenal chain. Space Frontier Foundation. What is that? What's your role in that? Um, yes, yeah, so I, I was uh, previously the chair of the board of directors there. Um, I love working with Space Frontier Foundation. They helped kick off my journey in the board of space after I volunteered at one of their conferences a number of years ago. Uh, but they've been around since 1988. It was an, it's an organization that's had a pivotal impact on the development of a U.S. Uh, new space economy. Companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin used to flock to our events in the early days because we were really the first original gathering spot for companies who were doing that kind of work. And a lot of uh, people will credit us with how um, commercial space companies were able to secure government funding because we advocated very, very early on that space actually is something that would be more effectively done if, if we put it in the hands of the private sector. And back in the 90s, that was a bit crazy to say out loud, especially on the Hill. Uh, but we pushed for it because we really believe that if we wanted to see the future of the space sector develop at a pace that we thought was appropriate, we had to shift who had the power in enabling that future. And it wasn't easy. A lot of people, a lot of naysayers along the journey, but they were eventually our founders were able to open up those doors. And so during my time as chair of the board of the Space Frontier Foundation, we decided as a team that, yes, we are so proud of our legacy of everything that we've done to help make the future that we've dreamt of possible. But 
how can we ensure that everyone gets to be a part of this future? How can we ensure that the wealth that's going to be generated from this sector, it's set to be worth a trillion dollars by 2040. How can we ensure that that's well distributed amongst folks? And how can we ensure that just all of the opportunities that are going to be produced sooner than people expect can be fairly given away to people? And so we launched a number of diversity and inclusion focused projects and partner organizations that we felt were doing some compelling work around the science side of space, but ensuring that again, more diverse voices, marginalized communities were plugged in. And so that's how we spent a lot of our, that's what we focused on when launching some of our newer programming the past couple of years. We launched a podcast grant giveaway to some grants to female podcasters. Uh, we launched a, a research program centered around space-based solar power that involves five universities from around the world on islands specifically in Mauritius, Jamaica, an island off the coast of Finland, Australia. And then that project was is being spearheaded by an HBCU here in the US. And putting these projects together, we, we also created a diversity and inclusion toolkit to help startups be better at recruiting and retaining diverse talent. We really tried to just give a ton of resources to enable people and empower people to open up the doors of this industry to more to more individuals. So we had a great time doing that. And now I, I stepped away from that because I'm launching a new project called Stardust, where we're developing a training program to help people transition into the space sector. And our first pilot is set to be um, a group of formerly incarcerated women. So we're really excited to be able to showcase that truly anyone as long as they have passion for this exciting field can find a pathway into it. That's yeah. I, boy, when you talk about that, that pathway into it, I, I imagine, I mean, one, you talk about incarcerated women to coming up pre-training, et cetera, but from the basics to, to, to that example, uh, you know, if, if you go to your, your university recruiter, your high school, whatever, whoever helps you choose a, a university, and say, I want to be in the space industry or the aerospace. I mean, I'm so sure that there's a little bit of a hesitation of, are, are you a scientist? <laughs> Do you want to be an astronaut? So I, I think that whole pathway notion is it just, boy, it seems, seems so critical to making this all work. Absolutely. I mean, I, that, that's the kind of talk that I would get when I decided I want to enter space. I studied philosophy in college. And so my family, friends, classmates, when they heard that I was going to take a risk and immediately after graduation, try and get a job in the space sector, they were a bit, you know, nervous for me is the best way to put it. Um, but it's because, you know, there wasn't, there weren't many people who were well known for doing things in space that weren't centered around just putting rockets together. How do you make that trigger and say, I want to be in the space industry coming from that educational background, yeah, what opened your eyes? Or was it like just a moment where you said, I've, I've got to do this? Or mm -hmm. I had a screenwriting fellowship in college for a couple of years. And every semester I would get funding to do ethnographic research on American values. And my last script was just inspired by a space camp jacket I got from a thrift store. So I wrote a musical comedy about two women competing for a free trip to space. And the two main characters had immigrant backgrounds. 
So when I was doing the research for that script, I came to really understand how difficult it would be for my two main characters to actually enter the space sector because of these aspects of their background, them being women, people of color, and especially being born in non-spacefaring nations. And as I was doing the research for the characters, I also came to understand how how space impacts our life here on Earth already. And that was very new information to me. And so when I realized that there weren't enough people from who represented what the world looks like in this exciting sector, I wanted to figure out a way to change that. And I wrote my senior thesis as a philosophy student about democratizing space. So when my peers heard me, you know, week after week work on that, that thesis, at the end of a semester, they helped convince me to try and give this space thing a go. So I built, I gave myself the summer to try and get a job in space. And I told myself, if not, I'll go back to my background, which is more centered around entertainment work and also working in the nonprofit space. I've always worked in, in nonprofits uh, throughout my life. I spent like a year living in Bolivia, working in a children's home before college. And that's just always been a part of my my life is opening up doors for people, but in a different way. And so when I got this first job in space, it just, it felt organic. I felt like I was getting to do what I feel like I was meant to do. And some amazing doors have opened up since uh, I began my career and moved to New York. And I think that people are really starting to get this message now, which is exciting because I, this is like the diversity and inclusion conversation as it relates to space mm-hmm. was not something I heard anything about back when I was doing my own research on this topic a few, a number of years ago. And now it's much more widespread and there's so many more new programs out there and opportunities coming up. It's, it's really exciting to see, especially knowing that this really is just the beginning. So Kim, I, I've got to tell you as our time comes to a close today, I have, over the decades spoken to, worked with companies across all continents, including this podcast has taken us to some researchers in Antarctica. I love to hear the first trigger moments, musical comedy. (laughs) I have to say that that is the single most intriguing trigger point I have ever heard in, in somebody's career journey. And what you have done with it is is just unbelievable it's outstanding so thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for engaging so many um young people or those who are coming out of you know challenging times in their life and into the future of this incredible industry thank you so much i I think there's some, there'll be some beautiful, bright things on the horizon. It's just an honor for me to be a part of helping to shape this industry in a positive direction. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to support our show, leave us a review and join our mailing list by visiting www.spider.works. That's S-P-Y-D-E-R.works and subscribe to our channel. Leave us a comment with who we should interview next. Thank you for listening and see you all next Friday.